<laughs> okay, so if you meet people that were born in 1982, they're most likely their names are Jennifer, Jessica, Amanda, Sarah, uh, Melissa, Chris, Matthew, Jason, David. But here's the one that got me that I was surprised by. Topher. I know zero Tophers in real life, but this was one of the most common names to come out in 1982. Can you believe that? I can now. Yeah. 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 I'm just out here illuminating. <laughs> I mean, isn't Topher kind of a, a nickname for Christopher? Is it? Yeah. yeah. Sure. Well, yeah. there it is. I don't know any, but I know lots of Christophers. Yeah. Well, there it is. I know a bunch of Chris's, mm-hmm. yeah. but never have I met a Chris that was like, call me Toph. Yeah, because they know that that's super douchey. <laughs> they know. And uh, as always, this is Gabe Pacheco. And on my second mic. Sammy Hamarne. Yeah. And we have a guest here in the uh, podcast studio today in the bunker on the second floor of my uh, apartment in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. The one, the only Mr. Louis Perlman. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me, you guys. Yeah. Thanks for being here, Louis. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for thanks for making the trip. Yeah. And uh, coming back uh, with us in our nostalgia time machine back to the year 19. 19- uh, 82. Yeah, it took and... me 45 minutes to get here on my light cycle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There here we go. go. Here we go. <laughs> we're, we are in it, man. Yeah. Uh, and if you were in 1982, you probably, if you had a gambling addiction and you couldn't go to a casino, you were just dropping uh, rolls of quarters into your Pac-Man. Yes. Miss Pac-Man. Yeah. Miss Pac-Man. Cubert. Sure. Mm-hmm. You were definitely listening to Thriller. Yeah. Um, you had a, a red leather jacket. Yeah, you did. With yeah. Lots, with lots of zippers. Those were big in 82. People could g- not get enough of zippers. Yeah, this is true. Uh, like, not functional or anything. Just put a zipper on it. Yeah, put a zipper on it. It was the it was the original put a bird on it. It is the original. It was a good look, actually. I mean, that's iconic, the way Michael Jackson looks in the Thriller video. Yeah, he, he looks so incredible in it. Uh, yeah. I, I thought about those... Um, those contacts that he had to put in yeah to look like a uh, werewolf werewolf, yeah and imagine how painful those contacts would have been to put like just because they just this was like early contact technology too yeah luckily michael jackson loves body modification so it's probably like (laughs) no big deal for him he's like i love that i like the pain it feels good yeah he's like oh my eyes finally look right great (laughs) you know oh my god this is nothing to me yeah exactly (laughs) he was a sex symbol during this time, 1982. Yes, this was the last time he would be a sex symbol. <laughs> this was the end of that. Yeah. yeah, they were like, hell yeah, dude. You know what's sexy? Uh, black loafers and yeah. white socks. Totally. And high water pants. Yeah, and, oh. and a skinny little guy. <laughs> this is the skinny MJ guy. that I choose to remember. Oh, yeah, this is the iconic, this is the before the fall from grace, Michael Jackson. This is literally right before he started getting strange. Did he? This was during the era where he started getting strange. This was the oxygen tank stuff. I think he started embracing his strange. Or embracing, yeah, yeah, totally. Because he's always he, yeah. Or there is more of a public face to his strange. He right. was born yeah. strange. Well, yeah. when you're a teenager, you're just allowed to be eccentric because you're finding your identity. <clears throat> That's right. right. And also, you're not really held responsible for the public image. Zero repercussions. Mm-hmm. You know, like because you have people, other people are dressing you most of the time. And ev- certainly, other people were dressing him because he was such a public teenager. Yeah, yeah. And he was dressed in matching outfits with his brothers. That's it, right. It's crazy. You have so such little social accountability when you're a teenager, and then when you become that famous, even less. So it was like a just a free ride to do but, whatever you wanted for Michael for a long, long time. Yeah. Yes. The eternal bad person. Right. <laughs> I was going to say eternal bad child, but that gives him a pass. If you were health conscious in 1982, you were uh, chugging diet tab. Yes. And uh, working out to some Jane Fonda's Jane Fonda workout tapes. Yo, my mom on your had VHS those. or Betamax. Sure. Working on your glutes. I love I love those your videos. <laughs> my uh, my mom had uh, two Jane Fonda workout uh, VHSs, and uh, well, I, but I wasn't watching those. I was going up to watch uh, Three's Company after school. Good, because you would have been watching them for all the wrong reasons. I sure. Think. Well, that I mean, this show was popular in 1982. Oh, but Three's I, Company. I remember watching it in syndication later. That was my my introduction to uh, comedy. Sexual sexual comedy. Yes. Titillating yeah. comedies. Yeah. yeah. Also, your introduction to. Pretending someone is gay so they can live in a room. Uh, It's it's important just to remember that that was a thing in that sitcom. That was a big thing, actually. This was like uh, pre-fair housing. Right. Yeah. A lot of federal laws and guidelines. Yeah. Stipulating that that landlords couldn't, um, 
you know, uh, discriminate based on sexual orientation. Yeah. Right. Wasn't like, there was a, there was a show called Too Close for Comfort around that time where I think they had an openly gay housemate. Really, Monroe. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That was a Ted Knight banger. It was a Ted Knight banger. <laughs> coming, also, coming off that Caddyshack heat. <laughs> I also feel like that's around the same time as Soap, where Billy Crystal played an openly gay character, and that was pretty groundbreaking. Oh, yeah. that movie about soap opera. No, no, that was a, 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 a it was a sitcom. It was a comedy. Oh, was it? Uh huh. Yeah. Hmm. And that he was played on TV. A... It was a parody of soap operas. Yeah, that's. I thought it was a film. Okay. No, it was a. Yeah, it was a TV series. I yeah. don't think I ever saw that in uh, syndication. I've, I've only seen no, clips of it. No gay people allowed in syndication. <laughs> Banned. Huh? I'm allowed to say this because I identify as a queer male, so I can be hard on media for not portraying me properly. That's right. Although I am portrayed very properly in Tron, <laughs> because uh, I clearly identify with the character of master control program when you open the door <laughs> to the apartment that was how i greeted you yeah totally i am a master control program who's clearly a, a big old mo going out when he's not assimilating other programs to the dance clubs and dancing the fuck around yeah yeah well uh yeah louis you're you're like a, a multi-faceted and talented performer and artist in new york city and yeah. i've been to your dance parties yeah thank you yes yeah. I, I have DJed some pretty sweet dance parties that you've been at. This yeah, is true. That's right. So yeah. we can find you DJing things, but also uh, improving. Yeah, and you know, and I wrote a musical. What? And I'm trying to raise fifteen thousand dollars for it. So let's talk about it on your podcast. Oh hell yeah, man! Yeah, well, of course. I'm, we're definitely. This is an opportunity to plug all the great things that you're doing in New York because, you know, one thing that Eat Pray Judge does is showcases uh, just talented people. Yeah. Operating. In mostly Manhattan and Brooklyn. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Gabe, you know, I have to say I'm doing a lot of wonderful creative things right now I'm happy to talk about. Yeah. But the only one that I'm completely scared shitless about is raising $15,000 for this <laughs> musical. So I'm going to talk about that. Dude, you'll make it happen, man. Thanks, man. Yeah, we're at 3000 and we've been, uh, our Kickstarter's been up for a day. The musical is called Joey and Ron. It's a 60s bubblegum rock fantasia on American themes. It's a new musical that's heavily inspired by the monkeys the archies and when sugar was still the main ingredient of cereal uh so it's like a real nostalgic trip back and it's also about how youth movements can change the world so it's a very inspiring show as well so you can look up the Kickstarter, Joey and Ron, and throw us a few bucks. There's some really cool prizes as well. I love that idea that youth movements can change the world. You know, I, I feel like the Manson family really did impact us. Agreed. <laughs> those, those wild kids really changed things up. Can this just be a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood podcast? Because, oh my God. Well, when love you brought that up, movie. You brought up 60s music, and I've been listening to the uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, soundtrack on Spotify. Is there any other music? No. The, the last couple days. Yeah. Well, you know what? There was music. Music that came out in 1982. That's true. So uh, Beyond Thriller, the the Clash. Uh, should I stay or should I go? That's Rock pretty the good. Casbah. Sure. Some of my faves. Rosanna by Toto, which I think is a re- uh, actually a real banger. I love Rosanna by Toto. And uh, yeah. what's cool is that we did a. You have a podcast called Kick the Jukebox. Yes. And uh, <laughs> we did that one, and we talked about Prince Paul's album Prince Among Thieves. Yeah. But uh, like you're you're just a great dude to talk to about music. What a Thank great you. album to talk about, by the way. Right? Oh yeah, it's so yeah. good. Oh, Prince yeah. Prince Among Thieves. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, the, I the, loved doing a deep dive into it. The at first Gabe's, Gabe's behest. It was great. Hip hop opera. It introduced me to a lot of rappers that still live with their parents. <laughs> totally. <laughs> that is absolutely Woo! correct. I know. Yeah. What's up, Chub Rock? <laughs> <laughs> A young MF Doom. <laughs> yeah. Um, well. Yeah. So. I guess I guess people kind of have a, have an idea that we're we're covering Tron today. Yeah, we're covering Tron, and uh, and what's one last note about this year was Time Magazine uh, gave uh, its Person of the Year was uh, the computer. The computer. Oh, was this? That's right. That's right. It was the computer, and I think Mad gave their Person of the Year to Pac Man. <laughs> I think yeah. as a parody. Yeah foreshadowing yeah yeah seriously so this was an an era of a lot of uh tech anxiety and a lot of uh breakthroughs in in, uh technology and 
and this divide between people and basically people had no idea what half the population had no idea what a computer was. Yeah, which I need to remember when rewatching this film because the logic behind it is so goofy. But maybe they thought that if they had made something that was more accurate to the way the computers actually worked, that the audience would have been completely lost. But the I think the audience was lost while watching Tron anyway. So yeah, they kind of like uh you know covered the pill in, in a video game motif, so people would have interest in it, and it was just like that's how they slid the, the info in. Totally. Um, yeah. The info. The incorrect info. The incorrect. Or yeah, just like, the, this like weird the, the falsified logic. Yeah. Inaccurate. Um, the right. Commodore 64 was released in 82. That was like the most owned, per, the first most owned personal computer on earth, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. And I remember that thing yeah. pretty well. We played, uh, you know, games on it. Yeah. Did, you play, did you play Tron on it? Was there any I, Tron that you had? No, I don't think so. Okay. It was, there was some home Tron, home versions of Tron. That's why I ask. Tron actually became pop. It was a kind of like a, a critical and box office failure. Yes. Uh, but it became popular on the heels of its video game release. Yes. Repopularized. Yeah, and repopularized. Video yeah. games at this time, sure, there was Atari, but most people went to gritty arcades mm-hmm. with dirty joysticks remember and them so sticky well. buttons that had been smashed too many times. You know, I remember a few years later when I actually had memory, like 86, 87. Yeah. There being an arcade across from a restaurant that uh-huh. I was at with my mom and a friend of ours who was an older, like a family friend. And I remember being like, can we go into the arcade after we eat to play some video games? And family friends said, no, we cannot because that is where drug dealers hang out. Drug dealers, mm-hmm. gangsters, mm-hmm. miscreants. Pimps, pedophiles, yep. uh, kids addicted to gambling. Kids addicted to ga- gaming, gambling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Gambling. Yeah. It was sort of this wild, yeah, this wild suburban American terrain. They were like bars yeah. for children. Yeah, yeah, yeah like for that sure. sort of culture. It, it yeah. was a, uh, it was a sort of a culturally sanctioned uh, place where adults and kids could mingle. Yeah, um, and it be normalized yes you know although at the time being an adult fan of video games was a little weird yeah like it was geeky it was you were looked at as a mouth breather it's not like you know like flynn in the movie is not that's wasn't a real thing that was going on that all these girls were crowding around some dude getting the high score on some fucking tank game sure that know? was that was some pr they're yeah. really yeah. trying to uh make it look cool sexy it up yeah when totally. he was rocking that wet perm in the first 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah, seriously <laughs> yeah i i would the, this was the era though that mid 80s i had before i got the nintendo i was out at the um arcades at, there was a subway sandwich on uh, connecticut avenue in washington dc mm-hmm. and after school i would go there with my allowance which was like two dollars yeah. i was supposed to spend on subway fare on metro fare mm-hmm. and i would cash that in at the counter and then i would play um donkey kong yes tron yeah uh, which tron uh it was was it discs of tron the best tron tank uh, it was the tanks. tank tron yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. there were tanks and light racers yes yeah that was the one that was the multiple mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and i would play uh what did i say time time pilot was another game oh, that i play all the time, time pilot uh-huh. where you were uh, like a little spaceship and you had to uh destroy um fighter pilot sh- uh, planes from different eras in history, uh, so like World War One planes, World War Two. Cool. I didn't. I didn't know about this underground subway uh, sandwich sandwich restaurant slash uh, <laughs> yeah video game. It was off the Woodley Park. Cool uh, red line, a little south of where I was. That's right. We were just at the disc shop or at Time Out in Georgetown. Those were the, the DC arcades. Yeah, that I remember well. The one in uh the what was the the best game uh, during like a little bit after this era. For friends to play was uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That was my yes. favorite. It was collaborative. Yeah, you get four people on that. When I was a Final kid, fight. I, I hated the Ninja Turtles. Sure, Isn't like that yeah. weird aesthetically. Yeah, I, I they had too much toot for me. I thought they were stupid, <laughs> and all my friends liked them. And I was like, "Fuck these guys!" Like, yeah, there was something about it that felt really disingenuous to me. Which is interesting because now I know, as a comic book geek, that they actually come from really interesting kind of indie comics roots, and I think that's one of the reasons why they. Uh, struck so hard is that they really were kind of a unique cultural phenomenon. But at the time, I just hated them. I thought they were so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I love that game, though. 
I mean, yeah, great game. Yeah. Uh, another thing to to recognize with them is if you look at the original Turtles comic books, they're black and white, and yeah. they are dark. Yes. And they're just out there murdering. They're vigilantes. Yeah. Murdering oh, yeah. street gangs mm-hmm. in New York City. Yeah, which I like more. That's more my speed <laughs> than like you know goofy pizza eating. Yeah. Know, yeah, that pizza eating got a little out of control. Yeah. Sure. Like Zaw is not that great, guys. Also, they it's okay. You know, their their toppings choices were were suspect. Really? Would they put pineapples they would put in like marshmallow? They would peanut butter marshmallow pizza, anchovy. Maybe they were, maybe they were stoned all the time. Yeah, that's kind of what was I was the, thinking. Yeah. Sure. Well, they didn't really have uh, genitals. And, um, you know, what else are you going to do with your time? Eat pizza, I guess. Eat pizza, get high. Sure. <laughs> uh, all right. So there we go. Tron. Can... Tron. <laughs> well, we can get. Yeah, let's get into Tron. 1982's Tron. And this movie was inspired. By uh, back backlight uh, animation techniques, and or that's how they made it. It's yes. mainly backlight animation. Yeah, and and uh, and I guess the the writer of this he had seen he was an animator, mm-hmm. and he had also uh, watched Pong, sort of the rise of the video game Pong, yeah, and thought yeah. this is mind blowing. This <laughs> these two little uh, what is it like hyphens? Yeah, yeah just like going at it, bouncing a period yeah. back and forth. But at the Pong. at the time. It was, you know, really a mind-blowing technology, and people were super excited by it, you know. uh, So it makes sense, you know, that people were, that that he was, definitely there's a lot of cinematic potential in early video games, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I don't know necessarily if it's realized in Tron. I think Tron sort of becomes a different thing, but I understand that the genesis i get that pong was the genesis of this film you know well so my uh, aunt had a uh, an atari one of those yeah. early ataris and we had all the games and the games were all very rudimentary like pong, well, I, I was playing pong like later because mm-hmm. i had this old antique atari system of hers and pac-man and things that were interesting were the covers of the games mm-hmm. or the booklets that came with them yeah. that had these much more in-depth storylines oh yeah and so you got to these you got to like a uh, sort of imbue these symbols these little digital uh like bit eight eight bit graphics with these massive epic storylines absolutely that was one of the most fun things about renting a video game from blockbuster you know which i did later you know like maybe late 80s early 90s on nintendo entertainment system was reading the instruction books sure instruction books were always so detailed yeah (laughs) really wonderful yeah, uh, interesting, weird writing. Sometimes descriptions of every enemy that were always really fun. Uh, yeah, I love those instruction books. I think that's actually kind of a lost art and something that's lost from our childhoods. You know, a hundred percent, absolutely. And, and so, like you know, even with with Pong, yeah, uh, the the cover to that showed two you know muscular dudes playing tennis. You know, and yeah. so it made it feel like it was a bigger. It was grander than yes. just these two uh, floating hyphens. Yes. <laughs> and as a child, you, you had like we all had that ability to, to um, imagine mm-hmm. something greater than these than these like little beta graphics. Yeah, squares. Yeah, exactly. Right. Same thing with Cubert. Right. You know, Cubert was a cartoon, and Cubert had there's great drawings of it, and so then when you play the game, it feels like you can sort of impose, superimpose all of this imagination onto this very simple game. Um, and now look at the world of video games, which right. is un- unreal. Right, and you can't have an, you, There's no the advancements. Sure, crazy. Because you name your horse, you have to feed your horse. <laughs> you have to name yourself and give yourself a body type. <laughs> you have to. You have to give your uh, cowboy a haircut every uh, <laughs> 22 hours of gameplay. If he doesn't go to the gym, he gets diabetes. <laughs> Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> so Tron, the least ep- uh, epileptic. <laughs> Friendly movie on Earth. Yes. That's right. It's a tough watch. Uh, best thing about this movie was that it stars Jeff Bridges. Yeah, he's good in this flick. I could read He's as good this. as he can be in this movie. He's, that's what I'm going to say. He, they didn't give him much to work with, yeah. No. That's right. That's he, right. I love Jeff Bridges. Also, I don't buy Jeff Bridges for a moment as like a sexy hero in a movie. <laughs> for a moment. <laughs> he's such a goof in this movie too i mean they definitely try to play him for comedy in this film he has a lot of comedic lines but 
he's not like the Han Solo type. No. In this movie, you know, there's a balance to a character like Han Solo. He's this a, guy's a little more of a, just sort of a d- adult, you know? I see echoes of uh, the dude. Totally. You know, it's like, I, I I wrote here, the dude in the Matrix. And and I didn't want to talk too much about the Tron sequel, Tron Legacy. Sure. Just because it's not what we're talking about. Well, but I haven't seen it, so we just, could... We could uh, we could what is it improv tron the sequel from memory the only no the only thing about just related to that is that jeff bridges is in that film reprising his role and he's older jeff bridges and it's basically like the dude stuck in the computer <laughs> like is what it is which is actually really funny and good use of him as an older actor just to like play up on that persona he's created for himself Sure. You know, it's very hard to divorce him from the dude. Yeah. When I think of an old dude trapped in a computer, I think of like uh, retired parents on Facebook. And they're like, well, I don't work anymore. (laughs) So now I'm just, I'm on this platform. I feel like I need to speak politics. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's time to spread some fake news. This is how I express myself now. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Let me tell you what America means to me. Water cooler anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, so, Louie, you picked Tron for us to watch, and I have to say that I haven't seen it since uh, maybe 85 or 86. Interesting. When it was on VHS, and I see I it on your it. shelf over here. No. Seriously, it's right there. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I haven't been caught in a lie. Uh, Louie is correct. You I, have, I have a copy of Tron on my shelf, Legacy. Blu-ray. Oh, oh, this is the sequel. I don't have a Blu-ray player. And so and you've never seen this sequel. No, this Ugh. is something I think I found on a sidewalk. Yeah. You know, when people... That's where it belongs, dude. <laughs> yeah. You know when people drop out of New York City and they leave yeah. all their shit on the sidewalk? And they're like, fuck Tron Legacy. I'm not taking this with me to Peoria. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I accidentally uh, purchased Tron Legacy on YouTube yesterday to watch Tron. <laughs> Great. Uh, and then about like eight seconds in, I saw... I was like, this can't be... This does not look like a 1982 film. Yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck. Did I just... And I was like, I did. I I download. I I, I purchased the wrong one. Well, get so hyped to watch Tron Legacy. <laughs> yeah, no, that's definitely not going to happen. I think I clicked on it, so my window is short, and I don't think I'm going to speed home. You can email them and tell them that you rented the wrong movie. Oh yeah, yeah. You'll be like, dear sirs and madam, I yeah. was attempting to rent Tron and instead <laughs> rented. Tron Legacy. Dear Master Computer Program. <laughs> yes, or Master seriously. Control Program. Yeah, end it with end of line. Yeah, <laughs> your email. <laughs> yeah, so Louis, why did you pick this for us to watch today? Well, Tron occupies an interesting space for me, I think, uh, as a geek and as a movie. I feel like, I, I want to say, I, I don't think Tron is inherently a good film. But it's also a film that I've just watched multiple times in multiple contexts with different people throughout my life. And definitely, as a kid, it, it really shows that I, I definitely rented it quite a few times on video. And it shows that it was real slim pickings when it came to this type of entertainment for geeky young people at the time that I was so into it and I wanted to watch it multiple times. Um, because it, it definitely makes zero, the film doesn't make any sense. The film's pretty incomprehensible. Genuinely confusing for the first thir- 30 minutes I was, I was lost. Hugely confusing, I, you know, and then it doesn't really get much better once they're zapped into computer land. Like it, it gets like slightly <laughs> better, but it doesn't get like kind a of, lot right. better. Um, there is, it doesn't follow its own logic. Uh, watching it this time, I realized it's just a mess, but it's also like, a stunning mess. It's like kind of a glorious mess. It's an innovative mess and it's a well-designed mess. And uh, there's certain sequences in it that I still think are just stunning, stunning pieces of filmmaking. And I think that there's so many kernels of a good movie in Tron. And, uh, you know, I had so much hope once again for Tron Legacy (laughs) when it came out because it was a sequel that was made years later and and it was made by some of the same people and i thought that they would have really thought about the problems with tron and then it like makes all the same mistakes which i think is even more interesting that it's like i think tron is just like this massive folly of a of a franchise you know and it's had some amount of cult success and there's been a lot of successful video games there's 
apparently a successful cartoon called Tron Uprising, an animated series that's apparently good. There is a podcast devoted to that, and it's got to about 50 episodes. For Tron Uprising? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, Tron has a fan following, which in itself is really interesting, but I think to be, like, a true fan of Tron... A Tron be, head? Yeah, yeah, what do you call yourself? Yeah, a Tron head? Tronny. A Tronny. <laughs> yeah. A, an end of liner, you know? Ooh, <laughs> uh, that's yeah, great. You know, um, I feel like you have to be a really unique, specific type of person. You know, it's like, I was at Disneyland in around 2011, You 2012. go to Disneyland frequently. Huh? Uh, not that frequently. I've been, like... Three times in the last like ten years. That is frequent. Is that frequent? Yes. Yeah. I mean, three I, times in the last ten years. I like Disneyland. Well, I have friends that go to Disney World like every fucking year. You know, it's their thing. It's like all that they do. Do they live in um, Orange County? No. They oh, so don't. it's like a pilgrimage. It's like a thing that they do. They have like a membership and stuff. It's like know? going on Hodge, and that's like yeah. what they do. That's their vacation. Yeah. Um, I was in Disneyland 2011 or so, and there was a little boy there cosplaying as Tron just because it was a Disney property. That's... And there was no Tron content at the parks. And he was like five or six. And I was like, it's a, another kid that just like loves this movie that like doesn't care that it's like completely incomprehensible. It's, you uh, know? Nobody cosplays as Condor Man. Oh my God. That was another <laughs> film I was thinking of pitching to you to discuss because Condor Man was another one that loomed large in my life as a... And I think Condor Man's very much due for a Disney reboot. Very much. I think yeah. that's a that's a property rife with potential. I remember reboot. watching a lot of these uh, Disney films that were live action movies that from the late seventies or early eighties yes. uh, on VHS at my grandparents' house because they were a little bit more stringent with what I could watch and couldn't watch. For sure. You know, when I was at home with my mom and dad, they're just like Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. Put yeah. it in, pop it in, yeah. baby. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but I'd go to California, and they'd like if it had that Disney uh, stamp of approval on it. Yeah, I'd be watching it, like uh, re- like Return to Witch Mountain and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Sure uh, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. I think might have been yes. one. There was a couple of darker ones. The late seventies, early eighties Disney films were a little edgier. <laughs> yeah, right. they, they were they were going for rebranding right. at the time, and Tron was part of that, and Condor Man was. Um, the black hole. As there was well. one called uh, "Something Wicked This Way Comes." I think was a Disney movie, and that was a dark, weird movie about carnies. Wow! Oh, cool! I didn't know about that. Well, it was be... about a carnival that came into town with like an evil. It was kind of the, there was a an HBO show that kind of. Uh... Hell yeah, dude! Yo, Rob Zombie should pick that up and mm-hmm. run with it. Yeah, he's um, my favorite carny director. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> he's <laughs> good at that. He's yeah. good at that aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. it's like, uh, well, you want money for this movie? Will there be carnies? Yeah, yeah. If he says yes, he gets more money. Yeah. Do so you think the heads at Facebook and Google show um, Tron to their uh, new programmers, their new like a training manual? And they're like, <laughs> you see what the MCP did wrong? <laughs> I, I fix that. I would hope so. I'd like to live in a world where that's the that's the that's the reality. Well, so yeah, for it's any... like a cautionary tale for them, where the MCP is the good guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not just a weirdly effeminate ring pop that spins around and glows. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Also British because British people yeah. are evil in the in the early eighties. Well, the whole time I heard his voice, I kept thinking of Hellraiser. It's oh, very, interesting. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's a very Hellraiser voice. That's <laughs> true. Yeah. So, uh, but for anybody that hasn't seen Tron, here is a, uh, <laughs> a bloated, meandering, uh, heart of darkness synopsis. Oh my God. So, uh, we've, <laughs> we've got a hotshot computer programmer and video gamer named Kevin Flynn, played by Jeff Bridges, and he lives above his video game arcade. And uh, when people come into the arcade to find him, they will ask little kids where he's at, and all the children know where he's at. So, he's like this weird video game Pied Piper. And uh, that's just, that was weird off the bat. Uh, he is trying to hack into a computer system from his former employer, Encom, uh, to find proof that his old boss, Jill Dillinger, stole his video game ideas to rise in the ranks and become a CEO. This is making so much more sense than the way it's portrayed in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Encom's computer system is protected by a sentient computer program uh, called Master control program i just said program many times but master control program is on a mission to shut down access from all independent programs while assimilating uh other programs that are not part of its network 
and it's bored doing this and is now trying to hack into government computer systems around the world. Uh, Dillinger, who is the CEO, attempts to stop master control, but MCP blackmails him by threatening to reveal his uh, theft of Flynn's ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that's just one part of this <laughs> epic story. And then, uh, th- so there's a rival programmer, Al, uh, who gets shut out of NCOM computers uh, because he has set up a sort of police officer program called Tron, and a master uh, computer Master control program doesn't want Tron in the network. Uh, so Al and a uh, woman who is a, a, also a scientist named Laura Baines, uh, they, uh, they're they going out. They're like boyfriend, girlfriend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Seem more like brother and sister. Yeah, yeah. Sure. It's a weird, it's kind of a chaste relationship. It's a weird sexless uh, And she used to film. date Flynn. Yeah. 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 So, okay, so there's a love triangle in this movie between Flynn and... Al and Dr. Baines. Ish. I mean, kind of. No, but nobody really cares. He's like, we're all fine with this. Like, They're super poly. And that would be great if that's the case. I think that it's more chaste than anything. It's, it does feel a little kind of hip, progressive, white people, early 80s. There's no way. emotion to it yeah. at all, though. Which is like, let's smoke a reefer and listen yeah. to Journey, you know? Anyway, I'm, cool go with this. On. I'm cool with this, Steve. I'm, we're getting, we're, the train's going off the track. Oh, I apologize. No, the, it's, <laughs> it's very difficult to keep this train on the tracks based on how convoluted this <laughs> yes, plot is. Very similar to the film. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Master... Uh, <laughs> control. Master Control Program is... Uh, he, he doesn't want a Tron in his system. And Al and Laura <laughs> and Flynn decide to break into NCOM and... I guess Flynn's motivation to do this is to uh, find proof that he designed these video games. So yeah. that is the sole reason that he's breaking into NCOM. Mm-hmm. And uh, if he can find proof, then he will retroactively become the CEO of NCOM. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense. We'll talk about it. <laughs> like, uh, what? <laughs> so he's t- he's tappy-tappy typing on the computer, <laughs> and... Um, well, MCP is really upset, so he decides to turn on the experimental laser that will digitize Flynn and bring him into the computer network. And once he is in the computer network, uh, Flynn finds all of these programs that look like his friends uh, because users are the people in the real world and they are seen as gods and programs are the personal personified computer programs yes that live in the network we must discuss this we will yeah and uh (laughs) yeah so anyway i guess uh flynn destroys mcp in an abstract way and uh leaves tron the tron program behind to continue to police the network and then when (laughs) he enters the real world again oh and he makes out with a computer program while he's in there that looks like uh, Laura, yeah. named Yari. How dare. <laughs> in front of Tron. Can yeah, you believe Tron's it? Yeah, and Tron's like, I'm so fine with this. No, totally. it's not in front of Tron. That's actually not correct. Okay. That's when they think Tron's dead. Yes. For that five minutes of the movie. We're like, oh, he he dead. <laughs> like, with, no with no drama at all. No he's drama. He's just dead. Like, we oh, don't he's, care. He's dead now. There's okay. no in- emotional investment in this film. Or like uh, stakes where you feel, where, where you know what's going to happen next and that it might have consequences. Yes, correct. It it all feels like a very um like flatline dream sequence. It is dreamlike in a way that I think is a positive for the film. So, yeah. but uh, the film ends with uh, Flynn in the real world becoming the boss, yeah, and flying to the top of the Encom building on a helicopter, and eighty uh, success story, and bossing sure. his new friends around, and then and that's it. Yeah, and they're thrilled to be bossed around by him, and that end sequence. It must be noted, it lasts for. 22 seconds and it is a breath of fresh air it woke me up (laughs) did it were you like oh i was like hell yeah i was so happy at points in this film to see uh actual uh sonography that wasn't animated or digitized like when they got out of the computer i was like (sighs) yeah yeah my eyes yeah yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. it it is a a breath of fresh air for the eyeballs absolutely normal stuff again um well that was one hell of an in-depth synopsis yeah so you know proud of you actually that was great it it took a little while at the coffee shop yesterday to make that happen yeah but um but people watch this movie uh more for its artistic endeavor than they do for its plot 
I mean, I'm assuming that the $17 million budget, which seems crazy high for 1982, was spent on, you know, the animation and, and digitizing of everything in this film. I, I would assume that the actors weren't getting paid a ton. Well, well, the technique of making it is, is interesting and worth noting is that there's actually about 20 to 25 minutes of actual computer animation in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it took, yes, it took so much time yeah. to do, you know, certain, um, frames took, you know, apparently like hours to render of this film. Uh, you know, the computers they were using had like maximum, like 300 megabits of memory I was reading today. Uh, but then a lot of the rest of the technique is actually, most of the film is hand-drawn animation, which is super composited on top of uh, sequences that were filmed against a like a black velvet technique, like a black velvet background uh, in black and white, and uh, that's what gives the film. And it's like multiple layers of film of film composite on top of itself. That is uh, seems incredibly time consuming. It yeah. was, yeah. Laborious. And Kodak actually developed a film format specifically for this film to be able to pull it off, which is interesting. Um, and then the fact that the film is shot in black and white, most of the computer sequences, uh, and then like hand colored, mm-hmm. basically. It's not hand colored, there's not flesh tone in the, in the people's faces or black right, and white faces. Right, it's like a, a red the, hue, they, blue hue. Yeah, they like, glow with these hues. It makes it look. Uh, I think very kind of um, modern expressionist, you know, it has this like sort of strange, as you said before, dreamlike, but I think you can trace the look of the film and the feel of it back to like earlier films like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari or even like The Golem, like these sort of like uh, really abstract, strange films that make you feel a certain way, but not might not tell a coherent story. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you brought, uh, it, it's so dreamlike because it has this soundtrack. One, it's got that soundtrack that's orchestral. Yeah, we, by Wendy Carlos, who's famous. It, it hasn't uh, yeah. aged well, I don't think, because it it feels more nostalgic than it does, uh, like. F- Futuristic, definitely. The it's film a, in general, you mean? The soundtrack to the oh, film the soundtrack, or, yeah. orchestral. It's mm-hmm. definitely like a. I'd say on the whole, it's a retro futuristic film. You and know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but around the exact same time, you had uh, like Blade Runner had like a Evangelius soundtrack yes. that that holds up today. I think as more contempt, it feels like contemporary future retro. Yeah. Uh, throwing these words around. No, that's. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, the end credits. I don't know how far you guys listened. I, I uh, it had a very. Um, church organ feel to yes. it yeah, yeah without question i was like what am i listening to here and <laughs> yeah. why is this still on <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. because it was still married to disney of course and, and in that it made me think also of fantasia mm-hmm. uh-huh you know like uh fantasia was this i remember uh like older hippie people are like yeah drop acid and go see that movie oh for sure you know yeah. and in this also has that sort of uh psychedelic trance like vibe to it like maybe they were I don't know who they were making this movie for I guess it's part of where where we're going with this because I don't think like a, a five to ten year old is thinking you know what I want like a German impressionist techno art film right. that's hallucinatory yeah no, that's true but I think that younger viewers are uh, it, it things hit them in a really unique way and I think that this film is so specific I think it's why we as uh, as kids, you know, might have gravitated towards it is that we didn't really care about the story. We cared that it looked so good. <laughs> Absolutely. And that there are and there's these sequences in it that really stand out that are really wildly interesting video game sequences. The, yeah. The, I think that the disc battle holds up. I think that weird like when they have the scoops. <laughs> Yeah. The scoop hands. Highlight. Highlight. That's like yeah. a weird like video game version of Highlight. I think that sequence is really striking. And I think that um the of course the light like the light cycle sequence is iconic, you know, and it holds up. It's very cool. Yeah. In my opinion. Like those are still my favorite parts of the movie and they still I really, uh, when I watch them, I, I really feel a certain way about them. Right. Positive so way. It's uh, it's isolated spectacles yeah. that hold up. 
and it's that there's no skeleton upon which to (laughs) hang these or like a tree and these are all like christmas tree ornaments Agreed. But there's no tree. It's no. just a box of ornaments. It's like totally. a series of cutscenes, based just to get you to the the uh, yeah yeah the and animation. Every frame of this movie could be a poster. Every it's all Correct. beautiful. Yeah. And you know, I'm walking around the Lower East Side, and there was this bit. There used to be this graffiti mural, and it was a Tron. Yeah. And that was, and of course, this movie is so inspiring when it comes to uh, visuals, just like. Yeah. What, what can I do uh, visually uh, or in terms of costume design or in terms of different ways to like manipulate film that are outside of like realism? Yeah, a lot of this film, I, I don't remember the other two designers who should be credited, but a lot of this was designed by French underground comics artist Mobius, who sure. is, you know, has this long and distinguished career and... Uh, it's interesting because they were working on different parts of the film and sometimes the design elements contrast with each other in this film, but the Mobius stuff really sticks out. Like the first scene uh, in the tank with, with Clue, yeah, you know, CLU, the Jeff Bridges program character who's inexplicably yellow. Uh-huh. Uh, the, inter- the internal uh, interior of the tank is a Mobius design and it's just like right off the bat is like it's dazzling, you know, and there's really very little that looks like that in film, even to this day. Oh yeah. And the Dumont character looks like a Mobius sketch as well. He's <laughs> the... like the big sort of Cheshire cat, uh, like oh, a caterpillar. Yeah. Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Uh, character who yes. guards the tower. Yeah. And, uh, Mobius, he worked with, uh, Alejandro Hodorowski uh-huh. to, uh, try to, to create Dune. And he That's sketched right. out this like, 2000 page tome of what doom uh, dune should be Mm -hmm. and uh i watched hodorowski's dune and they talk a lot about how that book of mobius's sketches and hodorowski's idea was then taken by all of hollywood and cannibalized and so you'll see uh, echoes of it in terminator Mm -hmm. and uh what else uh alien Mm -hmm. that's another one and uh basically all sci-fi movies from the 80s and 90s take from this a little bit of poltergeist as well yeah poltergeist which opened against this film it did yeah against tron oh and so better than tron and et as well Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i'm sure et clobbered this movie (laughs) et the most like the most coherent like fantasy (laughs) film of all time (laughs) right yeah it doesn't take a genius to understand what's going on in et (laughs) right do you want to take your child to a uh like a a sort of cold intellectual artistic labyrinth yeah. of ideas yeah or, or a petting zoo for the brain <laughs> exactly exactly i like baby goats <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah so uh that's what et is for the brain uh, yeah. just one lovable baby goat yeah uh well there was a, a lot of cool concepts in this you know one is just um is i, I was thinking about the term post-humanism sure and uh, other films that, and cyberpunk, and like films that come after this uh, that have that idea, like Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was around the same time with the yeah. Replicants or Lawnmower Man, <laughs> which is a direct, I feel, descendant of this movie. Yeah, which I'd probably like. I've never seen Lawnmower Man. Oh my God. Yeah. It's another one to add to our list of movies we're going to hang out and watch. But this idea that you can um, download your consciousness and take it outside of the physical form and put it into like a like a cyber playground. Total, yes. total recall. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Strange Days. Right. Is another one like this. Um, I think it's, it's, it's cool to... Like, as far, I mean, the, this movie is almost a definition of dated at this point, just based on the tech, you know, how it how it looks and feels. But I think what I mean, the, what I took away from this is people in the late seventies and early eighties, I think, had a genuine fear of artificial intelligence, and it seems to be like this. The plot of this movie was that humans have to combat this in some some form or another. I mean, it's, it's like the same thing with Cyberdyne systems, which I think this was kind of like a template for in the Terminator films. It's like, you know, we can create these supercomputers, but at some point they're going to win. And they kind of already have because now we're absolutely dependent on it. Absolutely. I Um, think that their fear was founded. I I mean, you know, without question, sort of uh, artificial intelligences, intelligences in a bit of a different way. Intelligentsia. Intelligentsia in a bit of a different way. Just Facebook algorithms, social media, the way social media repopulates certain 
pieces of information, you know, they've literally, that literally has ruined our democracy. <laughs> so, right. you know, I'd say that, that the fear is, is well-founded. The part where master control programs like, I want to hack into the Kremlin right. and into the Pentagon. And that's a scary thought, you know, it's, it's, it's like, yeah, it is scary and it's correct, you know? And they're controlling what, I mean, the, the most important thing on earth, which is consumerism. So it drives basically the fact that, you know, that's what they want. It's it's obviously financial, and they they influence everything that you purchase, yes. see, yeah. or feed you know feed into. Or uh, I think it was prescient too in showing that uh, this company Encom has made has now has tendrils everywhere, but its primary its initial success was based on video games. Yep. Yes, I, I want to address that because I think that's a really uh, I think that that's a, a really kind read on the plot hole. Yeah, because we really can't figure out what Encom is doing and what kind of company they are. To me, they feel kind of military. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely! It's like Viacom and Enron. <laughs> totally, totally. But it's like to me, they feel military. We know they're playing with lasers. Yeah. They're digitizing an orange. Why we don't know? They're like we digitize this orange. 3D like, printer. Like give us, give us three more sentences about like we digitize this orange because we're trying to accomplish X, Y, Z, and it just doesn't right. happen in this movie. So to me, it's very unbelievable that Flynn would design what's basically sounds like space invaders, and then he'd become the CEO of a multinational like militaristic technology corporation. <laughs> like right. it doesn't make any sense to me. It's like putting your dog's pills in food. <laughs> but, well, yeah well uh but i i think in, in real world examples of this are uh that you you get the population uh to concede to one like trinket or toy yeah like idea like a fucking aging app exactly yeah, yeah the facebook aging app yeah it, is is the entry point uh for a mu- maybe a much more sinister and broad agenda. Yeah, for Russians to analyze our faces. <laughs> Literally, that's what that company was that developed that app. That sure, was a Russian facial recognition <laughs> software company. And not yeah. and 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 to get to be able to <laughs> you have go. your face aged, right. you had to give, you had to concede to letting them mine your data. That's correct. Exactly. They're like, great picture. You look super old, man. Let's yeah. see what your credit card looks like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now we know everything about it. Take you. picture of wallet. What yeah. does that look like, old? Yeah. Oh my god! Let's crazy. age your wallet. Those yeah. those old old app. I mean, that those are shockingly accurate. Like I've seen people <laughs> like fuck. Yeah, <laughs> I chose not to do that. Yeah, uh, but think about this though. Like your um, we Amazon started as a company that just sold textbooks. That's correct. And it went from selling textbooks to being you know one of the number one uh, sort of like contractors with the national security. And uh, the yeah. military industrial complex. And certain people, including myself, I'm like dependent on the way that Amazon delivers for like my health and well-being. You know, I have like some like chronic illness issues that if Amazon couldn't deliver me my like supplements and stuff, it'd you be know, a wrap. I'd, yeah. I'd really be, I'd really be waylaid. You know, health wise. So yeah. yeah, like they basically control my life. It's, I, it's... really upsetting. The Prime membership. I mean, I, I've I had just recently moved, so I'm getting a lot of stuff shipped to my my new apartment. Like you know, things for the home. And uh, and when I choose not to use Prime and I go through a third party seller, it gives me incredible anxiety when I don't see an actual tracking or I have no idea what's happening. Yeah. You know, or it's just like a lengthier process. Of course. I'm like, why is it still in California? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> it's yeah. over here. I need. Yeah. I need it now. And you see these big companies. What they do is exactly what Master uh, Control Program says that it does that's it, right it says uh oh we i take these other programs and i assimilate them mm-hmm. and so when you have these mar- like uh there i feel like there's a monopolistic conflict of interest in uh uh platforms like amazon because they will sell products uh your product mm-hmm. from your like etsy your homemade bespoke hats yeah but then if you uh have taken the risk to make these hats and then it becomes profitable, then they will start making knockoff versions of your hats yes. at a lower price. Yes. So they're basically assimilating mm-hmm. everything that made you unique mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and capitalizing off of it and basically like knocking you out. That's right. And Master Control Program is doing that with programs. With 
A gay panache. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is a gay villain. Yes. <laughs> uh, in line with Disney's uh, ideology. Yeah, seriously. You know? And no one talks about Master Control Program when they when they bring up gay villains. Yeah. It's Scar. It's Ursula. Yeah, it's you uh, know? Jafar. It's Jaf- my man Jafar. Yeah. I bet Master Control Program and Jafar are dating. <laughs> they strike me as the type they they'd be a couple. And his yeah. real world, uh, his little creature, Sark. Do you feel yes. like Sark... Sark is also coded as gay, or is Sark just coded as Ben Kingsley? I, <laughs> I feel like Sark is, I mean, he's definitely less effeminate than Master Control Program. Yeah. Uh, but, but there was definitely a weird distrust of, of the British at this period of filmmaking history. Yeah. You know, and maybe this was just that they saw Star Wars and just wanted to emulate that the, the villains in Star Wars, are, a lot of them are British, you know? Yeah. I don't, I don't really uh, I don't I don't really understand or they just like that actor that plays master control program Sark and um, Dillinger yeah you know that actor David plays, Warner yeah three roles yeah I feel like if you want a cold robotic emotionless voice you tend to go British yeah that's fair <laughs> Honestly, yeah. that's what it seems like to me it's anytime they want either uh, a more intelligent form of life or an emotionless <laughs> robot you go British or you go home go British or go home. <laughs> That's what it seemed like to me. I wonder if in if in England, when they make movies and they cast uh, Nazis in the movies... They all sound like Yosemite Sam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, howdy, Joseph Goebbels here. How you doing? Hey, okay. I'd love a Jack Daniels. <laughs> you know? Or they're, or they're uh, Roman, the Romans. Mm. If they oh, do Romans, right. if they all have to sound... Uh, British, or if they sound Australian and American, right? I'm guessing the or British Canadian. are like, oh no, we know we sound evil. It's fine. You know, <laughs> just like they cast themselves as the villains. Every actor in Chernobyl was British. The oh, age- interesting. <laughs> I thought that was so strange, and then I realized that it's better that they did it that way. <laughs> oh yeah. So uh, we, um, what's what's a favorite part you have in this movie? Uh, Louis, you, you, yes. Yeah. Uh, so I already talked about the action sequences, yeah. which are definitely my favorite part of the movie. And then I'm also going to give a shout out to the scene where Tron is communicating with Alan, his user yes. from the con- communication tower. Uh, not because it makes any lick of sense what's going on in that scene, but because of the attempt, the valiant attempt to create sort of a quasi-religious uh kind of uh feel to the entire sequence and this whole like half-baked idea that the the user is sort of the god of these of these like computer beings these programs and they try so hard to make it this meaningful you know awe-inspiring scene uh so and and i don't know if they totally succeed but like i really appreciate the attempt yeah i'm gonna say that scene and then the other scene i want to mention is the scene where they drink water (laughs) <laughs> it's that scene too where they're where they're drinking water that i wanted to drink that interesting that's like when you're on the you're at the club and the e is kicking in really hard <laughs> yeah. and you're like i am so thirsty yes, I it's like a sea of gatorade <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh oh there were, i think uh for me there was a scene basically jeff bridges is he adds every other actor in this to me feels wooden oh yeah it feels very the the color scheme is blue there's no emotion, and then Jeff Bridges, he whether he's in the world or in the in the computer network, he's got like some emotion to his face. He's quirky, yeah. And he, uh, what is it? He says he's he's uh, uh, they all know that he's a user, and they're like, "What's your plan, man? What's your plan?" And he's just like, "Dude, it, users, we're just improvident. We're making yeah. it up too, man. Yeah, just uh, rocking their faith. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah." And just to that sort of moment where you're like, oh, all the gods are flawed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That you know, and that's the thing is that it hints at some bigger, some bigger ideas that doesn't totally hit, but those ideas are still really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. This is yeah totally. There. Uh, I mean, the Matrix does it better. Uh, Blade yeah. Runner does it better. But but the ideas are here, and I like that. I also liked when Sark had got his uh, his helmet smashed open 
by a frisbee. Yes. And his brains came out, and yes. they all look like digital Lucky Charms. Yes. And there's just like a little a puddle of rainbow uh, blood and, <laughs> and brains then, coming and out then, of his and head. The master control program's like, very in one line is like, now I give you all my power, which is just cinematically, it's difficult to understand what's going on. And then all of a sudden, he's giant. It doesn't make any difference that he's giant. Like, okay, now he's... And then Tron runs between his legs. Uh, why is this movie called Tron and not called Flynn? I, I, was, I was wondering. I was curious about that. I, I was trying to piece things together watching this until I stopped. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know. The, uh, interesting. The, Tron was a character that, uh, that had been created by the director of this film who the, originally this film was planned to be a fully animated film uh, and was supposed to be a hand, a hand cell animated film. Uh, so he had already designed Tron. The early Tron was yellow and sort of looked like a muscle man holding some Frisbees, oh, some discs. But he actually did some animated promos of this character for some rock stations across the country uh, while yeah. he was pitching the film. So the film is called Tron because he thought that this was going to be basically his Mickey Mouse was Tron. And Tron stands for electronic. Uh, uh, yeah, that and, 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 and that's why he has that late 70s sort of disco glow to him. Okay, as story pirates, we know that we have to give our heroes a catchphrase. Yeah. We have to give them wants and desires. Yes. <laughs> we have to give them a personality. We yeah. have to give them a backstory. Yeah, poor Tron. And so you have to humanize them. Tron is like RoboCop with no Murphy. Like he yeah. is, and he. It, this movie is like Tron is the sidekick to Flynn, and yes. he. So I would. It's if you made a movie and you called it RoboCop, and RoboCop was j- just hanging out. Like, what do we do, boss? Yeah. Like he's the Robin of this movie. Yeah, Definitely. Kato Kalen. Mm-hmm. And uh, sorry, Al Cowlings. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, Al Cowlings, and he doesn't. O.J. Simpson murder. Got it. Yes. <laughs> uh, but there's no. He, it, it, this movie could exist without Tron. There is a love triangle between these three people. They could have made Tron a woman. They could have made Tron the Laura uh, Baines program character. Sure. Yeah, and that's something I, I just want to touch on is that the reason why Tron looks like his counterpart in the real world is because it's his programmer. And yeah. And the same with this Clue character who we see very quickly at the beginning who's the analogous to the, uh, to the Flynn character. But then this Laura character... She's not known to be a programmer. She's some sort of laser technician. And then for absolutely no reason, there's an analogous version of her in the computer world as well. Yuri. Yeah, Yuri, who's the same, played by the same actor. And then I just read today, and I'm like, well, this really could have been a line in the movie. In an interview years later, they were like, well, the way we conceived it was that everybody had their uh, avatar in the computer world because uh, everybody had their, like, you know, uh, identity and social security number and bank information in the computer world. So they, that was your uh, analogous avatar. But that makes no sense because she's another type of program. She's a communication program. Uh, so, like, whatever, you know, she's it doesn't make any sense. And that guy that's like, uh, I'm a actuary program. I help people with their taxes. Like, that also make, makes zero sense. It, like, makes the movie more confusing. That was my favorite scene because <laughs> it was ridiculous, and I was like, what is, what's happening? Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so it reminded me of the after, Afterlife in Beetlejuice. Yeah. Oh, where yeah. they're all, like, bureaucrats. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just pencil pushers, button pusher, <laughs> button mashers. I like the idea that Tron is his fever dream, and uh, is his fever dream, and that it's actually that he's, like, in a stasis between the living and the dead. <laughs> And that's like that world that he's in, instead of it being an actual concrete reality. Um, I found it interesting that a lot of the Disney animators uh, refused to work on the film uh, because they were afraid that, you know, uh, computers would start taking their jobs yes. with animation. Yep. And then 22 years later, Disney shut down its uh, human animation department Absolutely. in favor of CGI. Yeah, so that's they knew. part of the foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah, they knew. And it's a shame because there's a warmth to cell animation that computer animation can't quite deal with no absolutely yeah yeah i felt like all of the uh, effects and the animation held up in this movie you know it it, gorgeous maybe weird and strange and beautiful yeah i like practical stuff i liked everything in here that was uh like painted and Mm -hmm. and all of the the use of the different techniques the costume design is dope too the costume design's amazing 
these weird helmets and these like tunics that they're all wearing. Were they just hockey strange. helmets and uh, and uh, like spandex? Yeah, basically. They, they, yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, it, it all looks good the way that it's lit. Yeah. And uh, I can't remember where the anecdote is that um that uh, he's wearing a tunic. Uh, not because he's wearing a tunic because he was so uh, well endowed. Yeah, he yeah. had to protect his bulge. That it was making everybody uncomfortable at craft service. Yeah, that that <laughs> happened with a lot of these. For some yeah. reason, they decided during this era that spandex was the way to go. When it's you know, if you're making a family friendly film where you don't want to see someone's you know, yeah, peen, yeah, and like does that happened for Burt Ward as well on on the Batman show. Uh, really they were like yo burt ward looks like too much of a thick snack yeah seriously they they gave him pills to shrink his to shrink his penis what and would you ever take that pill i know exactly (laughs) it was a big problem and apparently the pills had side effects that made him like Ah. moody and like pissed off so he was because he shrunk his dick yeah no shit yeah exactly yeah yeah so yeah made him hard to work with but these pills yeah I think that's the first season. Half, yeah. half of China fainted when they heard about that pill. Yeah, seriously. They're like, you did what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. You guys, that is that is uh, tra- traumatizing to hear. That's that there is a, it's traumatizing. traumatizing. <laughs> Can we get into some, some final... I feel like you could just you could prank somebody with... Uh, just grind up one of those dick shrinking yeah. pills and put it in their uh, RC Cola. <laughs> they're like, ah! <laughs> What's happening? You've been punked <laughs> forever. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, sad. Uh, well, you know what? I think this was a one of a kind film. If you haven't, if you like design, if you like art, uh, watch Tron on a big on a wide screen. Don't worry about watching it in order uh, because <laughs> you don't need the plot. Is not important. Mm-hmm. What's important is the images. Uh, the story's muddled, and. Um, you know, I love the ideas in it, but none of the, they were half baked ideas. It 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 just touched the surface of these really cool cyberpunk ideas that get developed more in other films, and um and I have to say that at at points the the movie left me sad. I it felt sad because I didn't feel an emotional connection, and I remember watching this as a kid, and I I only saw it once as a kid, and I left because I I think I I left feeling bummed out like, uh. The world it created was beautiful but reductive, yes. and and it had no heart. And I was like, I I, I don't want to spend more time in this Encom uh, universe where Jeff Bridges is a video game CEO, yeah, with two employees. Bing, yeah, uh, yeah. So oh, and the and Tron as a character sucks. Uh, <laughs> have Flynn become Tron? Yeah, yeah. Tron was more like Alta Vista. Or the Bing search engine. Totally. <laughs> or Ask Jeeves. Duck Duck. Yeah. Ask Jeeves. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I give this a um, a four uh, Frisbees out of ten. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and that's my final takeaway on Tron. Um, kind of, I mean, I, I like I like it for what it, what it is, and I think it's just like, you know, foreshadowing of uh, people's dependence on artificial intelligence and computers running running the show which is you know definitely what seems like you know it's going to be the case sooner rather than later um so uh i think socially and like politically it has like a, more of a message than i you know than i appreciated the graphics or the you know the animation i mean i think it's an interesting watch i'd be surprised if you were listening to this that you haven't seen tron <laughs> so you know uh, 5 out of 10 just for you know, nostalgia and like a, a, an interesting, decent message that's still relevant today. I want to play the video game. Yeah, again. Yeah, sure. disc of discs of Tron, which is rare, but you can play it if you're a New Yorker at the Chelsea um, Barcade. Yes. Uh, is a, one of the be- I think it's one of the best games of the '80s. I just think it's like, and the design is that Mobius design, and it's just like gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Final thoughts on Tron? Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. So I, I just want to bring up before my absolute final thoughts. The last time I watched this was 10 years ago when Tron Legacy came out. And I watched it with my mom. And then we went to go see Tron Legacy in theaters. And Double feature. I always wanted to make a shirt that said, 
where I would have a shirt that said, I watched Tron with my mom. And then she'd have a shirt that would say, Tron was fun with my son. <laughs> Just want to bring that up because I think it's important. Uh, <laughs> Tron, um, I still think plays in a, in a world of ideas that are really rich and really exciting and, and trigger the imagination and are also really relevant to a lot of what we're going through right now. And at least when it comes to the film series, I can't speak to the animated series, both Tron and uh, Tron Legacy just do an absolute terrible job humanizing those ideas and <laughs> making them at all relevant to the audience watching them. Um, and I think that it is literally a goldmine of a property for Disney that for some reason, maybe based on the people involved in both films, based on the way they were made, they just haven't really figured out how to humanize the story and hit it properly. But I, I do believe that all it would take is a new voice or a new idea to recontextualize what has been laid down specifically by this film and then lesser so by the sequel and make like a really incredible science fiction film that could be one of the best of all time. I think all the pieces are there. They just haven't been put together in the right way. Nice. Great. Good point. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, Louis, where can people find you? Uh, www.louisperlman.com. And uh, that's all the info about my podcast and this musical I wrote. And definitely go on to Kickstarter and search out Joey and Ron and throw me a few bucks if you like this podcast or are interested in seeing a 60s bubblegum rock Fantasia come to life in front of your eyes on the stage. All right, everybody. Well, uh, thank you so much for being here, Louis. Uh, thank you, yeah, listeners, for uh, you know uh, tuning in once again. And if you like what you heard, uh, smash that five star button, uh, leave us a review, tell your friends about us, spread the word. Uh, next week, we'll be back with the net and special guest Jackie Furbeck. I'm Gabe Pacheco. Sammy Humarne. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>